Hello, church family. This is part two in our study of Exodus 21. On Monday, we went through a little series on the, the rules of, of, um, for Israel as it, when it pertains to the relationship between slaves and uh, masters, and how masters, uh, and we, in the master-slave relationship, we have to remember that it's not the way that Americans think or even the way that Egyptians think and that the way that uh, slavery was back then was very unique in that uh, they were actually their own people. So don't think like, oh, it's like the European white people kidnapping African slaves. That's not what the original slavery was. It was Israelites to other Israelites or people in the covenant community of Israel. Some of these were, were brought into slavery just because it's like a contract work. Uh, the illustration that I used was, yeah, I think like a, either like a Downton Abbey or even like an, a sports athlete when they're working for certain uh, uh, companies or people for a certain amount of time. It was, it was agreed upon. There's a certain amount of years that they're only allowed to work. In this case, it's only for six years. And there's a level of respect and love that they're supposed to um, care for them. <clears throat> so much so that in verse 5, it says that like they want to even go back uh, to the to the master and be part of the family. They say, love my master, love my wife, my children, and I will not go out as a free man. So now they're permanently under their servitude. And again, back then, slavery wasn't like, you know, they weren't supposed to be mistreated. Some of them, you know, they, were, they weren't just stuck in their compound or whatever. They were able to walk around, leave, buy, uh, you know, live a life, normal life. And they just, it's just that they worked under this particular person. So that was the laws and uh, standards when it comes to slavery. Now we're going to look at just laws in the way that a person is supposed to, uh, when it comes to personal relationships and uh, you know personal type injuries. So uh, we see that in verse 12 to 25. Um, I'm just going to kind of walk through this really very quickly and just draw some principles in terms of what we're supposed to do with this. That says, he who strikes, and you know the word strikes is going to come up multiple times in this chapter. And this is actually the idea of like, almost like attacking with the intent <coughs> of murder. Like he's, he's trying to end this person's life. So verse 12, he strikes a man so that he dies shall surely be put to death. Uh, this is someone that did, it does it intentionally. They deliberately choose to try to uh, end this person's life and they succeed. And if that person is caught, they are to, put, uh, they are to be put to death. Verse 13, if they did not lie and wait for him, meaning like they did not plan for this, but God let him fall into his hands, uh, then I will appoint you a place to which you he may flee. Uh, so what this means is that there's actually a place, I think it's in Numbers 35, where it speaks about how uh, if you uh, accidentally kill someone, so you, you throw a rock over your fence and knock someone and it kills them, knocks them down, kills them, and uh, that results in some, you know, unintentional murder. And instead of uh, getting killed, there's their exile to these six particular places in Israel that are run by the Levitical priests, so it means that they can still have a relationship with Yahweh ultimately, but they're exiled for what they've done, whether it's a carelessness, which we'll see toward the end of the chapter, uh, which is actually, that's usually the case, it has to be carelessness, otherwise it's deliberate and, and they get killed for it. But if, <laughs> if that was the case, if they were careless and it cost this, and it cost someone else's life, the, there's their, the the consequence of that is they're exiled from the land. Uh, there's these uh, places I think they call it like land like manslayers, places that um, you know for those that um, are repentant and contrite, they didn't do it intentionally, but they still need to suffer the consequences for what they've done. Verse 14: 
If, however, a man acts presumptuously toward his neighbor so as to kill him craftily, again, this is like planning and plotting, that you take him even from my altar that he may die. So this someone's like deliberately wickedly. So maybe the verse, 13, uh, verse 12 is someone that like they get in an argument and then he gets really upset and, uh, to the point where he just wants to like, uh, you know, kill this person and he does it. This one, verse 14, is someone that like has, has been hurt and he plans, he schemes and he plots and then he kills a person and, and when that's found out, uh, they're killed and they're, uh, and they're like separated from the covenant people of God. So those are like the different degrees almost. Uh, verse 15, he who strikes his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. Uh, he who kidnaps a man, who whether he sells him or he's found in his possession, shall surely be put to death. So these are, again, different types of relationship where uh, people are called, you know, the nation of Israel are called to act differently and live differently. So in ver verse 15, who, this is like a child who chooses to attempt to kill his parents. And this is like attacking. Not, that's not like, you know, when a child bumps into you on accident or or accidentally swings backwards with their hands or they're reaching for something or or they throw something in and accidentally hit their dad. It's like deliberate, like, I hate my parents and I want to kill them. That's the type of attitude that they have. This is a, a child that that has murderous intent and when he's caught doing this, he's put to, he is to put to, be put to death. In verse 16, we talked about those on Monday about how if you're kidnapping or you're in possession of some of a slave, you're be put to death. Verse 17, he who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. Now this one is similar to verse 15, is that it's this father and son relationship. And cursing is not like using swear words, although that's part of it. In in the old Israelite days, when you curse someone, you're saying that you want to you don't have want to have anything to do with them anymore. So you deliberately choose to you know separate yourself from them. And although that doesn't seem like a big deal to us nowadays, at that time, a child, it's, it's their responsibility to actually take care of their parents when they get old. That's why back then, there were, you know, the Israelites had like dozens of kids, is because that was almost like their retirement plan, and it was understood that it was all their kids' job to take care of their parents, and then they understand that their kids will take care of them, and then, you know, the, fa the family is supposed to take care of one another. So when you say, when a child says that they want to have nothing to do with them and they curse them, they're essentially relinquishing their responsibilities uh, to take care of their parents. Now in this case, it's seen as a sin because they're essentially not just neglecting the family, but they're neglecting the, the community of Israel. They're saying, I choose to not do my responsibilities. Um, and for whatever, it doesn't explain what the reason is. It just, it just it assumes that this kid is a wild kid. Like he chooses to, he, he's deliberately, trying to be rebellious. It's not like, oh, this is some injustice thing. And I know modern day we try to make excuses for those for the people that do wrong. But in this case it seems like, you know, there's someone that's deliberately just has an anger and hatred towards his parents and he and he doesn't he doesn't want to take care of his family or his parents, so he should be put to death. Um, verse eighteen, if men have a quarrel and one who strikes another with a stone, uh, this is like in other words using like a weapon, or with his fist, unarmed, he does not die but remains in bed. If he gets up and walks around, walks around outside of his staff, on his staff, then he, uh, then he who struck him shall go unpunished. Basically, if they, there's, it seems like they've agreed, like there's some conflict, and they're like, okay, you know what, we can't solve this, let's just fight. And then they fight, and they fight, and then one of them wins, and then the one that is the victor has to go and take care of the one that they beat up. Because it says here, he shall only pay for his lost time, and he shall take care of him until he's completely healed. So, you know, I, I assume that these two individuals, like, you know, they can't, they couldn't solve their conflict with words. So, you know, I, I think certain people, yeah, they, they have 
they struggle when it's hum when it comes to peacemaking. So the only option they have is like, just, let's just fight it out. I was like, okay. And then after they fight it out, uh, they're like, we're cool, cool. And it's like, oh yeah, you you like kind of broke my arm. Okay, well let me take care of you for, and you know make sure that you get better. Even it says like you gotta pay him for his lost time. So just make sure that he he's taken care of after you you guys end your fight. This is which is a semi civil way of dealing with issues because I think you get all your emotions out. I think I remember as a kid. Um, I don't know, this, they don't probably do this anymore, but whenever there's like the bully that comes up and like picks another kid, usually when that kid fights back the bully and the kid suddenly becomes friends, <laughs> it's because they realize like, oh yeah, I don't, no one really wants to fight and they have a problem to work it out. That's what it was like back then. Verse 20, if a man strikes his male or female slave with a rod and he dies at his hand, he shall be punished. Now, this is not like, this sounds on the surface like kind of like, you know, American type of slavery. But he, this is actually a situation where it's like a disciplinary action. Like the slave did something that's actually wrong. Like, and then like, what are we supposed to do this? Because they, you know, they have their contract. They're supposed to work together. Uh, what's the, uh, what are they going to do to ensure that they don't uh, commit this again? Commit this whatever injustice or crime again? And they, and they just will cane them. But it says that if you cane them to the point where, where the person dies and the master is put to death. So this gives like a protection, uh, like it's like okay, you can you can discipline those that work under you, but you have to be guarded in terms of what you do. Uh, you cannot go beyond the limits, and you will see more of that as we continue on um, in this chapter, verse twenty-one. If it, however he survives a day or two, no vengeance shall be taken for he is his property. Now this means this uh, this phrase he for he is his property means that he's his con he, he's contracted and worked on he he's under the authority of the man that hires him. You know, like he he agreed upon like okay yours will do this task this task and this task and then if the slave chose not to do task the first two tasks and, uh, and maybe just the third one that he should be punished for it and that's his way of saying like okay you agreed that this is what the um the the deal is you want to work for me for six years here's the conditions and we understand that too like when you have a contract with someone in our modern day you choose to break it you're fined right you get you get charged for a certain amount of money uh, or um you know, you get sued or whatever. There's just different things. If you breach a contract, there's certain things that happens to you. That's what's going on here. Um, the slave is, did, did something wrong and he gets punished for it. Uh, but it, and the master uh, is instructed not to kill the person, but just uh, uh, strike him enough so that he understands what he's doing is wrong, so he doesn't do it again. Um, verse 22. Now, this is actually 22 to 25 is actually one that I find to be the most interesting. If men struggle with each other and strike a woman with child so that she gives birth prematurely, yet there is no injury, he shall be fined as the woman's husband may demand of him, and he shall pay as a judge decides. So imagine, remember back in uh, verse uh, 18 where the two guys were fighting one another? So this is saying, like, if these two guys are fighting one another, and then all of a sudden, like, a woman just walks by, and he and she gets knocked over, like, you know, they're wrestling or they're throwing each other around, and he happens to, like, you know, hit the pregnant woman, and she gives birth prematurely. Um, they look at the child and see if there's any damages done to the child, and then they get and the guy gets fined no matter what. The one that hits the the lady, the pregnant lady, gets fined, and then you know the husband, as well as the judge, decides how much he has to pay. In verse 23: If there is any further injury, then he shall appoint as a penalty life for life, death, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, and foot foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. Uh, this is a um, this is actually a like a legal idea called uh, lex talions or the talion laws, and the idea being that um, 
This is not actually literally, and I say literally because there's no history, there's no record of history where people actually like gouge out each other's eyes when a child loses their eye. But this is the idea that if a person causes this child to lose some sort of bodily function, losing money doesn't actually make it up for it, but that he has to help this kid throughout his life. Uh, if, if, let's say, through the, this interaction, the child loses his arm, he has to help this child bear the weight of it. You know, or, or if he can't see, he will help them help him see, you know, not like you know, taking out his eye or whatever, but like uh, he's, he's going to try to help him with his handicap. And whatever limitations that he loses, like, that, that's caused because of this conflict, the one that's, that is responsible needs to take care of the child for this family here. And this is a law that's supposed to be put in place so that people won't do things that are evil. You know, this is supposed to show them, like, you need to make, if you want to fight somewhere, make sure that there's, like, a cage and you're, like, far from pregnant people. You know, like, deal with your situation. But then if you do accidentally hurt someone, then you need to be able to, you need to be responsible or responsible for what you've done. Paying a large sum of fine doesn't solve the problem because a kid, you know, let's say loses an eye or loses a foot, he's still going to be like that for the rest of life. So the command here isn't so much literally like eye for eye that you lose the eye that you know you poke eye you cut off this hand or foot or whatever, but it's that like you need to help compensate for them for the rest of the life for the rest of this person this kid's life, and that's going to you know that's going to be hard for the person who did it as well because you know it's hard for the kid the kid was born with a missing you know something some deficiency or some defect because of this struggle, and the person that struck the the, the lady has to be able to help them throughout the, the rest of his life. Now this is important here as well because this is actually a time where God acknowledges that the child in the womb is a life. Because if there was, if it was just a, you know, a, like a, a bunch of cells and tissues, there wouldn't be any commands here. And this doesn't even state how, how long the pregnancy has to be. It's not as like, okay, if it was before the first term, then that's like, then it's okay. No saying whenever this entire pregnancy. If this lady loses a child, um, then it's a life, that you lose a life. And that's what's saying here, that the, like, I think sometimes Christians don't understand the importance of, of life in the womb. And our culture doesn't believe that, but the Bible here, all the way back in the Exodus, before there was even way to look in and see the, the shape of the baby, God has already said that a, the, a pregnant lady, inside, in, inside a pregnant lady, is a person. It's, a, it's an actual person, and that any harm done to this little one is is offensive to the Lord. And God gives us law here to protect the innocent one, because remember the, the the lady and the baby are both innocent. It's just these two people are fighting, and they happen to bump into this pregnant lady, and this is a a, a law protecting the, the 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 pregnant lady as well as the baby inside of them. So this is, again, to show you that God actually cares about life. And in fact, that's what this entire chapter up to this point is about. It's like, if you, how a person will treat another person as being in the image of God. Um, Israel was supposed to be unique in that way, in that the way that they treated each other is supposed to look different from the world. Because remember, back then, there was like Molech and all these other pagan worship where they were sacrificed babies, they'll cut themselves. They have a horrible view of man because they have a wrong view of God. And God here is saying that no man is made in his image and they need to be protected. There's a uniqueness to them. And these laws are in place to preserve that, to preserve um, the family unit as well as the society as a whole because everyone is made in the image of God. 
And these laws are supposed to keep them so that the nation can flourish and thrive and, and ultimately to point uh, to the fact that Yahweh has gotten his blessing them through their faithfulness to him and, and, and all of these little laws here. So when we look at these two, the laws for the, the slaves and even the laws itself, we actually see a little bit about how God cares about people, that God wants life to continue. God wants people to preserve life. And, uh, and they want them to work hard, and you know, the slaves are called to do that. They're called to resolve conflict with one another, and they're called to protect the life that's in the womb of the mother. Um, so that's the lesson for today. Just understand that all of us uh, are made in the image of God, and how we treat one another is a reflection of how we view the Lord. And again, these are all God's commandments for His people, and they truly uh, have faith in Yahweh and truly are part of God's covenant people, they will submit to him and obey all these laws because ultimately these are for their good and we're supposed to give glory to God as he blesses them for their faithfulness and their obedience. Thanks for listening to this one. On Friday we'll go over the last one which is just property, other properties. So we went from slaves to uh, self and then to stuff. Okay, thanks for listening. Take care and have a good day.